Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. There's something magical about unboxing. When you unbox BritBox, you uncover a world of British entertainment. Stream the UK's most brilliant series, including new and upcoming seasons of Shetland, Father Brown and Death in Paradise. Plus new originals like Payback, Irving Welsh's Crime and Archie, the story of Hollywood's greatest leading man, Cary Grant. Unbox BritBox and escape to the best of British TV. Stream with a free trial at BritBox.com. Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman, episode 340, that is 340 episodes of this shit, coming at you for Wednesday, the week of Wednesday, June 17th. Everybody, what is Having Funlessness with Jen Kirkman? Well, I'm Jen Kirkman, I'm a comedian. My two comedy specials, I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine and Just Keep Living, are streaming now on Netflix. I'm also a best-selling author, and you can find my two books anywhere you buy books, Amazon or IndieBound.org, for example. I can barely take care of myself, and my follow-up book, I Know What I'm Doing and Other Lies I Tell Myself. Audio versions are also available. This podcast is where I can show another side of myself, be myself, and you can enjoy being part of my weekly monologue. It's like a friend leaving you a really long voicemail. Nothing is scripted. It's off the top of my head. It's not joke per minute, it's sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but at least always honest and real. So this week, what are we going to talk about? I'd like to mention that I am part of the Sklarbro Country Podcast family. My friends, the Sklar Brothers, have put together a podcast network. Go to sklarbrocountry.com slash podcasts and check out all the great other podcasts podcasts that uh, are in the family, S-K-L-A-R, bro, country, S-K-L-A-R, bro, country, dot com, slash podcasts. Okay, we're going to talk about an earthquake that happened. Uh, I'm beginning menopause, I guess. (laughs) We'll talk about the golden girls seeing me through it. Um... What else am I going to talk about? Shout out to some of my Patreon listeners. Listener emails, of course, of, about all kinds of weird things. And uh, 
Oh, I want to talk about the Labor of Love reality show. California's back open and it's pissing me off. And other things that just come to my head this week. Okay. Before we uh, get too far in this episode, I'd like to remind everybody out there that at the beginning of the show, I used to announce my tour dates. I am announcing there are no tour dates for 2020. So there you go. I have canceled it all because I don't feel like getting COVID or even risking getting it and thinking I have it every time I'm traveling and doing a gig. That's not fun. So this podcast is where I will be available to be seen. And if you join the Patreon at only $5 a month, you get the video version every week. You get to see what I'm wearing, see inside my home. And at the beginning of the episode, I always riff a little bit more for the video people that you don't hear on this audio version. And that is only $5 a month. That's like getting four shitty comedy specials a month. That's pretty good. Plus, you get a bonus episode, 20 minutes every month, and other random bonuses that I throw in. There are other levels to the Patreon. They range anywhere from 10 all the way up to $35. And with each level, you get more bonuses. And some levels have merchandise that is free as well. So there you go. That's the best and only way to support me during the pandemic. Of course, you can always buy my albums, Just Keep Living, and I'm Gonna Die Alone and I Feel Fine on iTunes or stream them wherever. All of that really does help. Things that do not bring me money watching my Netflix specials. Got paid, you know. <laughs> Someone said, I'm watching your Netflix special over and over knowing you get a couple dollars every time. <laughs> Were that to be true? Um, so there you go. That's the best way to support. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. Come join the fun. All right, let's begin this week's episode. So, I... We had an earthquake last week. Now, I don't know if you guys remember last year, but it was about this time. I think it was a um, mid to late July episode last year. I actually interviewed my dear friend, Paul F. Tompkins, who really made me, uh, made me, I've, I'd, I'd always wanted to do a podcast, but I was a recurring guest or segment on his podcast, the Pod F Tomcast, and he would call me and we would talk. And after I stopped doing that, I thought, I got to get my own podcast. And so we always thank Paul for and his people that liked that segment for encouraging me to do my own podcast. Anyway, he was on last 2019 in studio with me, and he had been out of town for the earthquake. And I was trying to explain to him how scary it was. And he was not having it. But it was terrifying. It was the first earthquake I'd been in where it was more than six seconds. They're never more than five, six seconds. This one was almost a minute and it was getting worse and worse every second. Usually you feel a little rumbling and it stays at the same level. This was increasing and increasing until my whole building was shaking and you could hear people screaming. I mean, whether or not it was truly, actually, 
ever going to hurt me? And the answer is no, it wasn't. It was just unnerving, you know, and people can say, oh my God, I hope you have an earthquake kit. I hope you have this. Yes, I have a million earthquake kits all over the house. I have a bag packed, ready to jump at a moment's notice. But the point is, that's never the issue. When the big, big one comes, I assume it'll just be so overwhelming that you grab your bag. I don't know if you can go anywhere. You know, my car is in a carport in this condo. Maybe the whole thing will crash. I don't know. I'm not looking forward to finding out. But the point is, when it's just a, this earthquake was in an area of California called Searles Valley, S-E-A-R-L-E-S Valley. And it's sort of like on the way to Vegas. And so this earthquake was felt in Las Vegas as well. And it was a 7.8, which is big. Luckily, it wasn't a populated area. It was kind of in the desert, in the Mojave Desert. And the thing about it is we felt it here in L.A. So how far away from, okay, let's see, from... So, Searles Valley is, oh God, how far is, it's from Studio City. Okay, it's 160 miles away, 2 hours, 34 minutes. So, right there, right in Death Valley, 7.8 earthquake. So, we felt it at the level of maybe like a 5 here in the valley where I live. If it were actually a 7.8 under my building, oh my God, it would have been as big as like the North Ridge big earthquake in the 90s. So it was just the biggest one we've had. Now, again, it's not just Los Angeles. It was anywhere. Everyone felt it, even in Las Vegas, because it was closer to Vegas, technically. Anyway, my whole point is it got me into following these two people on Twitter. One is this guy named Jacob Margolis and Dr. Lucy Jones. They both study earthquakes. I think Dr. Lucy is an actual seismologist, um, but they're very interesting to follow. So, Dr. Lucy, so I just tweeted, uh, I did not like that earthquake, and it felt a lot like the one we had last year. And so I Googled it, and it was in the same place. It was another Cyril's Valley earthquake. And I thought, what the fuck? And uh, it was a 5.5. And Dr. Lucy said, this was an aftershock. Uh, so it was July 5th was the bad earthquake last year. And this year it was June 3rd. And Dr. Lucy said, um, yeah, I told you guys last year there'd be aftershocks for a while. I thought for a while meant five days. I didn't know it meant a year. So it kind of made me feel better because I felt like, oh, well, that was supposed to happen. It wasn't a surprise one or something. But what was interesting, it, it kind of brought me down, is last summer, I wasn't working. I was only touring once a month. And I didn't have a, a writing job. But I was pitching three different TV show ideas. And I was writing a really long pitch for um, something else. I had three giant projects and they were all things like after the July 4th weekend, I was going to go in and pitch these projects. So I had to work all 4th of July weekend. Sometimes that kind of unfair stuff happens where you're working with a production company or you're working with your management or whoever gives you notes on things. They give you notes right before the end of the holiday weekend 
it's okay if you don't get a chance to look at this until after the weekend. It's like, but that's the morning we're going into the pitch. So I'll be working all weekend. Thanks. And I stayed in all July 4th because I was just having a writing. When I when I have writing on my mind, I actually can't relax. I can't go and drink with friends and blow it off. Like sometimes I can, but usually I'm just like, I'm too preoccupied. And last July, I was sitting there and I remember I lit my candles and I poured a glass of wine. I went to start writing and I said, wow, I'm so cozy at home. This is really, really nice. And then the craziest earthquake that left my nervous system. That's what I was trying to say before. It wasn't intellectually, I'm scared of an earthquake. It was that after it happened, your nervous system is just jamming. You're just shaking and it feels like you're on a boat. And I just sort of lost my focus, if you will. And, um, you know, but then you don't really want to go get drunk and go party with your friends because you might have to go drive away. So I just was like, fuck this. And I vowed that next year, no matter what, I would not let myself get bogged down. If my schedule was busy, fuck it. I would still make time for going out and socializing. And so here I was a year later, literally working again on another project, this time getting paid. Thank God it's less torturous, but I'm writing a, finishing up a script that I was getting paid to write. And so I, I was sitting on my couch, same kind of thing. And I said, it's really nice here right now. You know, I've been trapped inside for three months because of COVID, but this is, it's nice. I appreciate where I live. And, um, and then I took a nap and I woke up from the nap and I went, when was that earthquake last year? July? I said, oh, it's June. And there was just this kind of feeling in the air. And I said, I think we're about to have another one. Legit 15 minutes later, we had one. And I was like, what the fuck? There's a, something that happens to you once you've lived in California for a while where you can start to predict it. And I swear to God, every night when we have mini earthquakes, I wake up. I wake up five minutes before them. And I know you might go, this sounds terrifying to live in California. It's really not. You get used to it in the sense that you can tell like you're one with the earth. When you feel a mini one, you're like, yeah, that's all that's going to be. But last year, again, as I said, was the first time that I went, I actually don't know what this one's going to be. And it kept me on edge for about a month where I just never felt fully settled again. And I actually was like, I don't want to live here because I'm not thinking it's the big one, but I don't like this feeling. It's scary. So anywho, but I was getting down on myself. I'm like, oh, great. Last year, I remember exactly how it felt to be sitting at home by myself working. And here I am another year later, sitting by myself, fucking working. And this time I can't go out because there's a pandemic. Did I really like last year was the worst year of my professional life. I, I could not get anything going. And I just worked 24 seven trying to get paid and it just never happened. And I don't mean people didn't pay up. I, I couldn't sell something. And I, it was just one of those years. And it was the first time I'd had sort of a dip in a long time, in like 12 years. And as everyone told me, that's part of the being in, in entertainment. And I really just didn't think I was ever going to have one because I thought I'd had my whole first 20 years was like a big dip, you know, not 20, but 15. And so I don't know, whatever, but blah, blah. There's something about sitting on the same spot on the couch a year later and being able to remember it 
where it imprints on the brain and you go, have I made any progress in life? And it's like, yes, I have. Yes, I have. I've had two jobs that I really learned from since then. I have even greater friendships. I dated a couple people. Like I've been moving and I went to two new countries. Come on. I've done a lot since last year. But there was something about sitting on that couch in the same exact spot that I went, is this just what my life is like for the rest of my life is just sitting on this couch trying to get some work done. But anyway, so yeah, I highly recommend if you guys are earthquake geeks, this guy Jacob Margolis on Twitter is a good follow. Um, and Dr. Lucy Jones. Dr. Lucy Jones says every earthquake makes another earthquake more likely. And that earthquake from last year, they discovered a new fault line. It was like, oh, great. It's not the the San Andreas fault line, but it's a new one. Is that better or worse? We don't know. Um, So, yeah, so last year's earthquake was the largest Southern California quake in 20 years. And uh, seismologist Dr. Lucy Jones did predict aftershocks for as much as about a year. So there you go. I wish I still had the video of it. I, I must have accidentally deleted it. There's, oh, there's also an article. I was going to talk about it that I think I'm in menopause, but I don't feel like it, if that makes sense. Um, but the world is supposed to end this week. Uh, let's see. God, I remember when I was growing up, that was every, and someone sent me a listener email recently that said they had panic attacks because they remember seeing on the cover of the National Enquirer that the world was supposed to end that week. I mean, that was all, I know that, Gen Z and millennials think that they're inheriting the worst possible anything, but please don't forget Gen X also did. And when we were growing up, it was, you're going to get nuked. And we had to do not air raid drills, but we would always be told, just notice where the fallout shelters are. That's where we go in case of a nuclear war. And it was like, we go to the gymnasium. Like, how is that? a fallout shelter. I mean, I'm even, I'm just a dumb kid, but I can even tell that it's probably not hermetically sealed to keep, you know, um, what, like, what is it called? Nuclear fallout from getting us. So this is on all these, like this, this was picked up on a mainstream newspaper, like the, you know, one of those London, like the sun or New York post, but Let's go to the India Times. So Mayan calendar, apparently wrong. The end of the world is due next week. They read the calendar all wrong. Turns out the reading of the Mayan calendar was wrong. And according to a scientist named Paolo Tagalogin, the world was never supposed to end on December 21st, 2012. Apparently, 
the series of tweets claiming that has now been deleted. So I don't know if this guy's just trying to fuck with us. 2020 is the year of destruction, it seems. There have been almost World War III moments, locust attacks, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, cyclones, and a goddamn global pandemic. Well, don't shoot the messenger, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news, says whoever wrote this article. Turns out the reading of the Mayan calendar was wrong, and according to a scientist named Paolo Tagalogwin, the world was never supposed to end on December 12th, 2012, 21st. So he, re- he posted a tweet on the microblogging website. I forget that that's what we call Twitter, which said, following the Julian calendar, we are technically in 2012. The number of days lost in a year due to the shift into Gregorian calendar is 11 days. For 268 years, using the Gregorian calendar, 1752 to 2020 times 11 days equals 2,948 days, blah, blah. I don't, the math is confusing me and I still don't know how it goes. Simply put, doomsday is not far. In fact, it is almost here. Turns out it's next week. Then they show a picture of a Mayan calendar. It makes zero to little sense to me, I'm sure to them. Uh, it made all the sense, but I don't know how to interpret the Mayan, the Mayans uh, drawings that they left behind. Back in 2012, I don't know if you guys remember, doomsday theorists were convinced that the world was going to end and people panicked and they went to Mayan sites in Mexico and Guatemala only to be welcomed by lack of sanitation at ancient Mayan pyramids, claimed reports. Can you imagine, like, oh, my God, the world's supposed to end. I'm panicking. I'm going to go to my, a Mayan site. Why would you go to what could be the epicenter of the end of the world? Why don't you just stay in Cleveland in your mom's basement? Like, what are you running to a third-world country for if, in fact, the world is ending? I mean, if it's ending, it's all ending. So why don't you just be cozy at home? In your, uh, what are those things they used to sell on TV? It's like a full adult pajama, like a giant onesie. As seen on TV, just put that thing on and sit on the couch. And then if the world doesn't end, at least you're not somewhere where now you have Montezuma's Revenge, which is AKA diarrhea. So there you go. So technically, I think the world was supposed to end on the 20th, which is coming up in a few days. Guys, I would not worry about it. I don't think it is. I think this notion of the end of the world is, this is my opinion on how the world ends. We, the earth gets destroyed by an asteroid. But I don't think we're going to get off so easy. I think it'll be a slow extinction of the human race. And you want to live, if you want to go this way, you want to live in the last area that will be affected by climate change. And I think they've always said it's New Zealand. That's why a lot of billionaires buy bunkers there. But uh, so there you go. But I don't think there's this big one-time poof. And if there is, why the hell would anyone be scared of that? You won't even know what hit you. But I think it'll be more slow and scary and devastating. But here's the thing. (laughs) It's just so impossible to imagine. Well, it's not impossible to imagine, but it's just impossible to predict, to comprehend exactly, exactly, exactly. I know someone 
younger who's traumatized by the world with no sense of humor is going, what does she mean, that boomer, that it's hard to predict? I know it's going to happen because her generation didn't fix the environment. Now, blah, blah, I know. (laughs) Here's the deal. I I can only, uh, you know, I I can't tell you guys when the world's going to end, but I can tell you that I might be able to help you with your anxiety. So I've been sending out this email for folks who might have anxiety. And it's about, I don't know, maybe it's 10 pages, and it's a bunch of tips and tricks, most of which are free. It has different podcasts you can listen to where people are talking about anxiety or meditations from real, in quotes, real meditating to body scan meditations where you listen to someone telling you how to relax different parts of your body, which are really, really good for your nervous system, to cognitive behavioral therapy coping skills, to things you can, books you can read, workbooks you can do. Most of it, everything is free except there's like a couple books I recommend, but if you can't afford them, I link to websites where you can learn about this stuff anyway. Then I tell my personal story. Then there's some inspiring quotes that might help you. And then there's tips and techniques and tricks and breathings and this and that. And I really think there's at least one thing that people, no, it's funny. I've sent out over 2,000 of these emails. I haven't heard back from one person. <laughs> but if it helped them. No, trust me, I don't care. Here's the deal. I know as someone who has had mental health issues her whole life and how long it took me, not, not only to get help, but because it didn't really take me that long to actually seek out help. But with each step of the way, all the different helps I sought Someone would tell me something and it wouldn't register in my head. I go, eh. And then one day I would hear it somewhere else. So th- this is what I know. You know, I, I do, I, someone would tell me something. Maybe my therapist, let's say. I go, eh. I'm not trying to ignore it. It just doesn't get through to me. Maybe a year later I hear it somewhere else. And I go back to my therapist and say, do you know blah, blah, blah? And she'll say, yeah, I told you that last year. And I'll go, I didn't hear it when you said it. That's just how it goes. And so I think by telling people, hey, I have panic and anxiety and I can help, people are automatically, I mean, I don't, they're automatically going to go to me because they trust me. Now, I don't understand not just Googling it, you know, but maybe people don't know who to trust or where to go. So that's why I tried to compile a bunch of things. But I also think when I send out this giant email, first of all, people do write me what's going on with them. And as I said, I, I don't specialize the email to anyone's needs because that, that I just wouldn't have time. But there's something for every aspect mostly in there. It doesn't really get into like hardcore depression or anything like that. This is, this is more anxiety tips. And so, but... I think what happens is it feels so good to just write me and tell me that I think even after they hit send, right before they get the email back from me, they think, you know, I'm actually feeling better. And then the email from me comes in. They're like, I'm just going to, I'm fine for now. And they don't read it. Or they read it and it's like way too much. And they just go, I don't don't even know. Or they read it and go, no, I've tried all this. None of it can help me. That's, That's most of the emails I'm getting. Uh, from people, they say, you know, send me your tips, but just know that nothing's helped me. I used to say that all the time. Nothing's helped me. It's like, it's because it didn't help yet. You have to keep doing it. And I do think there's something to where people 
need to hang on. I mean, it sucks, but we end up hanging on to our anxiety as an identity. And we don't know we're doing this, but we subconsciously fight for our anxiety. No, mine's the worst. You don't even know. And it's like, well, you can stop believing it's the worst. It might still be the worst, but we're asking you to think about what if it isn't and what if it's treatable. Because you have to start there. So it really is about this letting go because it's a childhood coping skill. And so it really is about kind of growing up and going into the next phase, being able to say, I think there's a world where I can look at this differently. And anxiety doesn't end because you look at it differently. Oh, God, no. You do different things. You put things into practice. But being willing to put things into practice has to start with seeing it differently. So I would encourage anyone who's feeling anxiety, this is what I love to do. It is not a pain in the ass for me. I have the form letter. I send you a couple sentences. Hey, thanks for reaching out. And then I give you the form letter. And I spent a lot of time working on it. I really enjoyed coming coming up with it. I keep adding to it here and there. I love hitting send on those and just hoping maybe I've helped one person. And helping people with anxiety is, I would like to eventually look into coaching, getting certified, and trying to do that. And once I have more time, and I'm not writing scripts that I'm locked into, I would... I want to make videos, 10 minutes here and there with different aspects of anxiety. So I'm going to read you some of the anxiety email that I send out and the way that you can get a copy for yourself. And again, don't just go by what I'm reading. This is just the introduction. But send an email with the subject heading anxiety help to iseemfun at gmail.com and I will send you a copy of the anxiety help. So I'm going to read you just so you know what it's like in case you've been like, well, I don't want to get her email. I keep hearing her talk about it. So I'm going to read you some of my intro to it. Um, There is actually too too much anxiety help out there, and it's a journey to find what speaks to you. I'm hoping I'm throwing out enough breadcrumbs for people to find their own ways. Remember that dealing with anxiety is a personal journey, but it doesn't have to be a lonely one. You are not alone. Um, I go through my whole history of having anxiety disorder and panic disorder, blah, blah, blah. The good news is that our anxiety and panic is actually our mind and body trying to help us, but it's old tools. Imagine trying to wear the same size shoe that you wore as a little kid and trying to work out with those shoes on or walk down a city street in them. You would so quickly feel the sensation that this thing from childhood on my feet does not work for me as an adult. Yes, I still have to wear shoes, but they have to be the right size. Anxiety and panic are automatic coping systems coming to your rescue, but they are wrong and not necessary. I do a lot of talking to my anxiety and panic and saying, I know you're here to help and you're welcome to stay. Have a seat at the boardroom table, but you're just not allowed to weigh in on anything. You don't have good ideas. Our panic and anxiety can be thought of as toddlers. They should not rule our roost. They actually need our guidance. It starts with trying not to give anxiety and panic so much power. I know they've kicked our ass, but deciding to not give them any more power doesn't mean they aren't powerful. It doesn't mean you're a dumb idiot who let them overpower you for so long. It's just a way of changing our thought pattern to take the first step. There must be a willingness to play with your thoughts here. It's how we will start to dig our way out of the dark tunnel. 
The problem is, anxiety and panic feel so serious that we poo-poo the remedies for them, which boil down to cognitive behavior, therapy, relaxation techniques, and rearranging our negative self-talk. These remedies seem way too easy. They can't possibly work. I won't even try, but they work. And it's okay to have a sense of lightness, creativity, and even fun with rewiring yourself so that your stress response actually calms you instead of tells you lies. Another thing is that people, when considering adding 15 to 30 minutes of practices in their life right now, they think, I don't have time. But the thing is, we have spent almost every waking hour subconsciously indulging our anxiety by repeatedly doing behaviors that didn't serve us, letting our minds run rampant with thinking that fuels our anxiety, but it doesn't feel like we're wasting time because it's second nature. We don't even know we're doing it. Adding new practices to life can feel overwhelming at first, but soon they will be the second nature. Trust me, I've lived with this for decades. Um, And when I started working on it, it wasn't better immediately. And I just felt, I'm going to be this way forever. But I was wrong. We've been living with this our whole lives. And it's our story, but it doesn't have to be the only story. Sometimes there can be a weird resistance to even maybe approaching getting better with hope and joy. Darkness and predicting the worst case scenario became our armor. It doesn't work. If it did, we wouldn't be anxious. I took a fear of flying course in the 1990s, and I'll never forget the psychiatrist who taught the class yelling at us, get mad at the panic and anxiety. We can also laugh at our anxiety too. Our anxiety is like a drunk person showing up at our job and going, I got things to say. No, no anxiety, you don't. There's no shame in panic and anxiety, and yet very few people understand it. Most people won't admit that they have it. And then it comes from a deeper place than, oh, oh, I'm just stressed about a political argument I just had on Facebook. Most people are wandering the earth like children trapped in adult bodies using old coping skills. Don't let anybody tell you that you're overthinking, overfeeling, that you should just get over it. That's other people's anxiety talking. If you are taking care of yourself, and that can sometimes be a private personal journey, doesn't have to be a lonely one. And then I go into, you know, medication, therapy, whatever, but... The simple science. There are elements that are a psychological disorder, elements that are emotional, but first things first, this is very factual. Again, I'm boiling this down to a oversimplistic but still totally, totally true explanation. Our feelings during anxiety means that our sympathetic nervous system is in a disordered state. That is, if there is actually no clear and present danger. That kind of sounds nice, doesn't it? Ah, it's a sympathetic nervous system. And it kind of is. It's trying to keep you safe. It's also known as fight, flight, or freeze, which is an amazing state that your body kicks into without you even having to try. If, let's say, you're taking a neighborhood walk and all of a sudden a grizzly bear who wants to eat you turns the corner and is facing you, you will go into fight, flight, or freeze. But if there is no grizzly bear and you're just hanging around and you feel fight, flight, or freeze symptoms, rapid heartbeat, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack, sweating, raised blood pressure, pupils dilate, which can cause feelings of faint or feelings of unreality. It means your sympathetic nervous system is disordered. It needs some rewiring, but you can rewire yourself. What you want is to activate your parasympathetic nervous system. A fun way to look at it is that you're calling the internal paramedics who live in your body to come to your rescue. 
parasympathetic, paramedics, you get it. Anyway, the easiest way is something called getting grounded. You can just simply stop, look at your feet, are your feet on the floor, look around you, name objects you see in the room. Some people might tell you to breathe. This one can be hit or miss. Obviously, we have to breathe. But if you feel like you can't get a deep breath, it can be highly annoying to be told to take a deep breath. Because for me, when I'm anxious, it can sometimes feel like I'm gasping for air. I have a quick tip for breathing if you hate deep breaths. You'll see more of this below in another section of this email. If taking a deep breath freaks you out, simply exhale all of the breath that you already have in your lungs out through your mouth. When you feel empty, just stop. Don't hold your breath, just let it be, and you'll notice that your body will comfortably start breathing on its own again. That should trigger your brain to be like, oh yeah, my body knows what it's doing, and there is plenty of air. I don't even have to take a big, dramatic breath. There are other ways to calm and ground yourself, which you'll see throughout this email, but I wanted you to have the basics. When you're in your sympathetic nervous system, fight, flight, freeze, panic time, you want to get into the parasympathetic nervous system. The paramedics are here to calm you down. You're basically just a machine, and sometimes you malfunction, and you are in total control. How cool is that? We aren't in control of much in life, but you can control anxiety after it starts, even when it shows up out of nowhere like a weird neighbor. So there you go. There is billions of more pages to that email. Talk about sleeping and exercises and physiology and psychology, and I'm in love with this email. So, so there you go. If you guys want it, I seem fun at gmail.com and put anxiety help in the subject line. Again, I can't go back and forth with you like a therapist. I can't customize anything, but I think this will make you feel less alone. There you go. And one last thing, as long as we're advertising things. Well, I guess this is an advertisement, but um, I have masks for sale. They don't have a nose wire and they don't have a filter pocket. So if that's not your jam, then jam on, jam on somewhere else. But if you go to um, my merchandise store, Tee Public, I will put the links in the iTunes and uh, you can also go to my website, jenkirkman.com, click shop and get into the T Public Merchandise Store that way. There are masks for sale. One of them says, real men don't, real men wear masks. Um, one says, where's yours? Very passive aggressive. But then there's ones that say, I meditated today, motherfucker. Girls will be girls. But any merchandise you buy, I am donating all merchandise proceeds to COVID-related causes. And so last week, uh, so I did it for the month of May, but I, I started doing it at the last month of May, like the last week of the month of May. So um, it was about, I have all of this here. I, I can't look at it because it's on my phone, um, but I did post about it. But of course, um, the place I posted about it was Instagram. And I'm, let me just see if I can pull it up on my computer here so I can prove to you guys that I've got the receipts. But yeah, so I donated $239.47 to Family Agricultural Resource Management Services. Uh, a lot of farmers, especially in the black community, have been affected by COVID-19, and this gets money to families that are struggling right now. My next donation, everything I make in June, is going to go to a nonprofit called CORE, and it provides free COVID testing in cities and communities where people really need it most. So there you go. 
Um, that's it. And again, join that Patreon if you want. So, oh, let's just talk about something fun for fuck's sake. Oh my God, blah, 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 blah. Earthquakes and this and that. So I'm watching, now, I, sometimes I like a show and then I read an article about it and it tears the show apart. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> am I dumb? I started watching this show. I'm watching a million things right now, but I wanted to kind of just zone out and lay on the couch and just, I was up late and I was like, I just want to watch bad reality TV, but not like housewives fighting. I don't like any of that fighting reality TV. So I found out there was this show called Labor of Love with Kristen Davis, Charlotte from Sex and the City. And I thought, well, that's, I want to see what she's up to. So she's hosting a show. Now, I kind of like this, but I, but I also don't. I think I've loosened up in my old age about people having kids. I, I listen, I, you're all freaks to me. I mean, do whatever. I don't think it's freakish to have a kid. I just, I just mean, there's, it, listen, do what, do whatever. It's fucking hard out there to meet people. And so it's this 41 year old woman. I guess she had been on one of the bachelors, but she's not cheesy and dumb. You know, she's seems very, she seems very practiced in how to be on reality TV. She's maybe a little boring, but 41, I think she froze her eggs. And she wants to find, now this is where it's unclear. She wants to find a father for this baby. I guess a sperm donor, in other words. But I'm not clear on if she's also trying to find love. So it's like, because you could just find the best sperm donor without having to go on 15 dates. You could just look in a book. and So I don't think there's going to be a world where she falls for someone but it doesn't really work out romantically, but she's like, God, you've got great requirements. I want your sperm. I, I don't, I think it is also to find love. Like she's looking to find the father of her children. So it's kind of like The Bachelor, but we're, we're going next level. You know she wants kids and she wants to have them now. I think this is crazy because, yeah, could you, if put, if 15 guys were put in front of you, could you probably just, settle on one? I mean, I guess so. I don't think I could, but no, I don't mean because I would like all of them. I just mean it. I can't imagine that a casting director would find 15 guys, A, willing to go on a show like that, that I would vibe with. Although I don't want a baby. So of course that would be the biggest thing. <laughs> like if they cast me and I'm the woman and then on the first date, I'm like, I know I just wanted to get on a reality show. I don't actually want a baby. And the guy's like, what? But I'm just saying, it's it's not that like like it's still a TV show so you know the casting director isn't actually getting fifteen completely eligible guys you know that a few of them are complete doofuses that are just there to add some excitement but what I kind of love about it is the woman is super excited because she's like oh my god I'm such a Charlotte Charlotte is my favorite character in Sex and the City and you can tell that she's super jazzed to be sitting there talking to her. And Kristen Davis is being nice about it. She's not like, listen, bitch, I've moved on. She's like, oh, that's so sweet. And I get it. So there you go. Wish fulfillment. But I just don't understand. I understand getting married off a reality show more than I do finding a father to your kid. But I enjoy watching it. So 
she goes on these dates with people and it's like, you know, they have the same old boring conversations where it's like, well, in my family, we did this. In my family, we did that. Well, growing up, it was like this. But then people start saying weird things like, um, you know, my dad was really angry in an addict and I'm just afraid that's going to come out when I'm a dad. And it's like, maybe you don't lead with that. Like maybe you go to therapy so that that doesn't happen. Like instead of, I know you're saying, oh, that's my biggest fear. It probably won't happen. But like, maybe just don't say that. Then there's this one guy who sleeps with a stuffed cat on his chest. And like in general, it's like, listen, I don't have a stuffed animal, but I'm pretty close to getting one because I think it's probably healthy emotionally to like cuddle with a stuffed animal during a pandemic. And it's not to replace a person because I don't want to cuddle with anyone at night. I I get too hot. I can't sleep that way, but I don't have any other human interaction. Like I'm not hugging friends every day. I'm not getting massaged. So I think it might be nice to have a stuffed animal. (laughs) And so, but this guy sleeps with a stuffed animal tuxedo cat on his chest. Now you would think, well, that's JK's soulmate right there. But when you actually see it, you're like, what is wrong with this loser? And so they, they, the guys in the house stole his cat and hid it. And he was running around without a shirt on and with some crazy hat on going, where's Snuts? My cat Snuts, where is he? And he interrupted the date the woman was on to ask where his cat, it was just, it was just dumb. It was just dumb. And it's like, they're trying to do these, well, the, the best part they did was on, so it's like day, it's like episode two, and they they drive these guys. There's all different kinds of guys. I, I don't mean in general. Guys, did you know there's different kinds of men? But like on the show, it's like, I'm a professional wrestler, but I'm gentlemanly. I'm a brainiac anesthesiologist. I'm a goofball, you know. So they drive all these guys out into the woods, and they're going glamping. Well, the woman is. She's got this beautiful tent. I mean, it's gorgeous. It's like a living room fire pit. I mean, it's amazing. And then the guys have to put up their own tents and they have this whole rigmarole with the park ranger saying to them, you know, there are bears here and you can tell that it's a setup for something. And he's like, so if you see a bear, you have to stand up and go, get, get, get. And then they show us that there's someone in a, it's actually a very realistic bear suit that's going, so we already know that each guy is going to be presented with a bear and he's going to have to react however he reacts, but that's going to give her insight into if he's a good protect, protector and provider. It's such a gross sexist setup on like all levels of sexism. And the men, what's so interesting is men really are like, they suck at looking stupid and vulnerable. Like they just crumble in ways that I think women are just used to you know, like it's okay if we scream and yell and and go, get scared, but the men who don't allow themselves to shit their pants over the bear, I feel so sad for them because I'm like, it's okay, it's a fucking bear, but they act all like puffed out and they actually look more like children. It's just, I, it's uncomfortable, but I can't stop watching it. So the woman, whatever her name is, she'll invite you to her little glamping site and She'll be sitting there with you, and then the guy will be like, oh, my God, are you fucking kidding me? That's a fucking bear. Hang on. And they all try to scare the bear away. And it's actually very sweet. Um, I really would have liked to have seen more 
uh, interviews with them after where they were like, I peed my pants actually. But it's, it's all antics like that. But I can't stop watching it. And then I went on this Reddit thread and people were like, this is so awful. Who the fuck would have a baby this way? And I'm like, I don't know. To me, having a baby is just so crazy. I can't imagine crazy to me for me to do. It's not crazy to give birth, but like for me, how it would just not fit into my life that I don't even stop to think about what the, in quotes, normal way to bring a child into the world is. And I'm like, I don't know. Having a baby at all seems crazy. Like, I guess I didn't notice that going on a reality show to meet someone to have one is crazy. Anyway, I can't say I recommend the show. I can only say I've been interested in watching it. And now you know that it's out there and it's on Fox and it's called Labor of Love. So there you go. Am I a bad person? Am I a dumb fuck for watching this show? I don't know. Probably. Probably. I'm not making the world a better place by sitting around watching the show. Anyway, let's read some listener emails. Let's see what you guys have to say. I feel like this episode this week is not that good. But it's because I'm really preoccupied right now. I have a lot on my mind. Uh, I just have... I just have an assignment that that I have to do, and I just need to do it. So let me read the listener emails from this week. Are you fucking kidding me? Where's my favorite? Uh... Where's my favorite music to play? All right. Let's see. Let's read some emails. All right, skip ad. Why isn't this going through my Bluetooth? Everything's going wrong today, you guys. Everything's going wrong. Okay. Uh, this is from Michael. Oh, for fuck's sake, would you play? Oh, sorry, it is. Um... Jen, I talked about the Beastie Boys documentary a couple weeks ago. Jen, I love the Beastie Boys from day one, and they were one of the rap bands that were acceptable amongst the punks. Of course, with Public Enemy as well, Snoop, Dre, Tupac, Biggie. Brass Monkey was actually a great drink. And Jen, I use wired headphones too. I feel like the buds zap your brain. (laughs) You guys read into so much. I use wired headphones. Um, he must be a Patreon subscriber. Thank you, Michael, for being a Patreon subscriber. I use the wired headphones because um, they plug into my microphone and I can hear myself. Uh, this microphone I use is not Bluetooth, so I can't use earbuds. But I use earbuds all the time. They might be zapping my brain. I don't give a fuck. We're, none of us are getting out of this thing alive, so zap away. Hi, Jen. Been listening to the podcast since you were still doing it while lying on your bed. I also joined the Patreon back in March. Anyway, just listened to the Time episode, and I'm quite glad to hear I'm not the only one who just doesn't like the Grateful Dead. I also love the story about how we met and my updated roller skate idea. Oh, that's Jeff. He's a $35 Patreon. Thanks for continuing to be yourself and to give as much as you do to your fans. I'm really hoping all this hooey and nonsense is just about done by late November because I'm still holding out hope to see your dysfunctional Christmas show again this year. Oh, Jeff. Oh, Jeff. I don't know if there'll be a vaccine by then or how effective the vaccine will be. I'm going to say, don't hold your breath for a Christmas show this year. Jen, 
Fred here. Anyway, I'm sitting in my recliner getting ready to go to work. I was quarantined for almost two months and honestly was not thrilled about having to return to my job as a retail manager in a chain bookstore. My hesitancy was born out of the fact that I know people will never follow the rules and generally are selfish. The first day back was so bad, I felt like it was just an eight-hour panic attack. I've always dealt with generalized anxiety and panic disorder. I see a therapist and I'm on medication, but none of my coping mechanisms seemed to work that day. It was just a raging dumpster fire. The good news is I got through it. Sometimes I remind myself that I've made it through every horrible thing that's ever happened to me. And since I've recently started studying Buddhism, I have come to be more accepting of all things life offers, good and bad. I keep a list on on my notes app of episodes and bonuses I've watched, and that list has evolved to include Jenisms, quotes at the bottom. If something I hear you say strikes me as particularly funny, profound, or otherwise interesting, I rewind and write it down. I thought I'd share a few. Quote, think about who someone usually is and not who they seem to be in the moment. Sometimes the most holy you can be is when you're hurting. I'll blare Beethoven up your ass. Every time you tell an older woman that she doesn't look her age, you are telling her that it is unacceptable to be her age. That one had the greatest impact on my everyday life because this is something I used to do all the time without thinking twice about it. I guess I was socialized into believing it was a way of being polite and deferential, but now I can see how ageist it is. Thank you for helping me to check my own privilege as a young man. Some people get really offended when their behavior is called into question, but I know that my privilege, white, male, cisgender, puts blinders on certain aspects of my life, just like there are aspects of my life that other people are blind to. I'm gay, fat, mentally ill. If you were a comedian, that would be a great title for an album or a special. Um, Gay, fat, and mentally ill. And when I know better, I always want to do better. Another Jen quote is, don't make every single thing you've ever wanted your safe haven. Wow, what a ton of bricks. I felt like the floodgates in my brain were open when I heard that. I've often put my day job above my art. And while I know that I have to work to generate an income to be able to live a comfortable and safe life, I'm tired of not chasing my dream just because the chances of it coming true are slim. When I'm older and looking back on my life, even if I failed at what I want, I want to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I fucking went for it. In one of my favorite books, Born with Teeth, by Kate Mulgrew, she recounts some advice she was given as a young actress at the Actors Studio in New York City by Stella Adler. Only the work will lift you up. Your work has lifted me up and inspired me to do more towards manifesting my own art into being. I have so much material, poetry, essays, that I know in my heart is good. Now I just need to put it out there. That's what I'm going to do. Thanks so much, and just keep living, Fred. Guys, I didn't mean to read all those compliments, but... It was tied in with Fred telling his story. And I like to read you guys emails because I like you guys to talk to each other. All right, let's see. I really appreciate, hey Jen, sorry. I really appreciate uh, your discussions around anxiety. Now more than ever. Mine has crept up to bite me, and I'm having sleep paralysis and nightmares, mostly about drowning for the first time in years. Oh, I had sleep paralysis so bad after this breakup I had years ago. Oh, my Lord. I thought I was cured of anxiety. Seriously, for a long time, I thought I burnt out my anxiety neurons on drugs and alcohol, and duh, anxiety. Turns out, that's not how that works. I'm curious about what, if any, podcasts around mental health you have ever found helpful. Therapy 
ain't an option for me right now and it sucks. I lost my health insurance when I lost my serving job in early March from COVID. And my unemployment payments themselves are frozen till the state of Washington figures out all this hullabaloo. So I've got online yoga class, music, and podcasts till I get my life back-ish. Any recommendations? I was really getting into one called The Adult Chair, but I'm open to anything lately. So thank you. Here's a French 60s psych pop song my boyfriend put on a playlist for me. I don't know why it made me think of you in your playlist, but maybe because it's French. I don't speak French, so I don't know what it's about, but it slaps. Oh, I remember she sent this to me. Yeah, there's a French guy named um, Jacques Dutronc, and I have some of his songs. One of my favorites is called Les Cactus. And this is from 1966. Fun. Ooh. Okay. Mental health podcast. There's one by a guy. He's like a, I mean, he to me seems like a therapist because he's technically a coach. And it's called The Overwhelmed Brain. And I love it. And he talks about everything, like everything, all boxes of life checked and it's just a solo podcast like this one but much well much well more put together and I do love a 10% happier as I've played that podcast on the show before I think that's all I listen to I listen to like a lot of spiritual ones but I don't really like to advertise that here because I know people are like what what that's too god-ish and I just hate like I don't know I feel like I have to defend myself so those are the two I can recommend for today Uh, This is in regards to people being like, I can't graduate. Hey, Jen, if anyone feels like they're missing out on graduation, they can have mine. In 1998, a bunch of people wore dark robes and sat in the sun to listen to a guy give a graduation speech. About two minutes into it, oh, I already read this on the air once. Sorry. Sorry. Jen, long-time listener, fan of your comedy and podcast, I am in the beginning stages of what I think is a breakup after being with that someone for eight years. I remember a few years ago you sort of shared about your experience, and I remember thinking if I ever ended things with my partner, that's how I'd probably feel. I think it would be helpful to hear those episodes, but they were years ago, and I can't find them. Any idea what the names of them were? Thanks so much in advance. Um, Yes, one of them is from 2017 or 2018, and it's called You Won't Feel That Way in a Year. Um, I hope that helps. Jen. A while back, you mentioned that you really enjoyed the Fran Lebowitz documentary called Public Speaking. I was so psyched that you offered up that recommendation during this time. I feel I've exhausted all the good TV and movies out there, and that includes extensive searches like underrated films, films you may have missed, films set in New York City, films set in LA, best picture winners, blah blah. I have a 25 minute rule where before I talk myself out of watching something based on something off putting I read in the description, 
I commit to sitting down for 25 minutes to watch. Still, nothing new is engaging me. Is it me? Is my attention span just shot? Has the dated picture quality kind of dulled the senses now that I'm so accustomed to HD? As much as I'd like this not to be the case. Are films just not so great these days because all the talent shifted to TV? Do you have any insights to provide around these feelings? Anyway, that was a rant. My real question is, why is public speaking literally impossible to watch on any streaming service or even rent from any provider? I do not get this. How exactly did you watch this? Years ago, it was on YouTube. It is no longer there. I'm still enjoying so many things on TV. You know, uh, I watch all kinds of stuff. I'm going back through movies I haven't seen. I'm, I was getting into watching movies starring women over 50 because it just involves a project I might want to do. And... um. I watch Under the Tuscan Sun with Diane Lane. Actually, my friend Dan Bukatinsky, who I, I was going to say ignored, who I ignored on this podcast, who I interviewed on this podcast years ago, um, I think it was 2016, but I saw him and I was like, oh my God, there's Danny when he was, not that he's not young, but when he was younger. Um, I never got all the way through the movie because it's more like, um, it's it's more like uh, like travel porn in a way. Like, like it's this woman who just gets off a bus of, of Tuscany a tour group in Tuscany and just buys a house and is fixing it up. So, you know, I, I think she's eventually going to fall in love with this Italian guy. I really like it. It's just very slow, which I also like. I just like haven't been in the mood for it when I've, every time I sit down to watch it. So I don't know. And then I just recommended that horrible reality show, but I did read an interesting article about this woman who was a wine, like a sommelier and her work is tasting wine. And sitting at home during the pandemic, she said wine tastes different and she, she can't do it. It's just not appealing to her. She's losing her taste for it, losing her palate. So it could just have something to do with the fact that we have to be home. That is why you can't engage with anything because it's, it's almost like one of the only things we can do. I could be totally wrong. Dear Jen, and then we'll end on this email and I will... Well, no, before I do that, no, we'll end on this email. Hi, Jen. I'm catching up with the video feed of the Patreon, and my neck is getting sore from nodding in agreement. I loved your original video on Instagram about graduations because I would have given anything to skip my own high school graduation. I didn't even bother with my college graduation because I worked my way through college and didn't really make the kind of connections where I'd want someone blubbering on my shoulder the whole time. My town started this thing where people could adopt a senior. And at first I was like, I will most definitely stand in front of some elderly woman's bedroom window at a nursing home and perform a vaudeville act to get her to laugh. And then I saw they were talking about high school seniors. I'm like, are you kidding me? These little bastards are driving nicer cars than I am because their parents are old money plutocrats. Adopt them? They should be adopting me. In other news, my aunt is going in for surgery this morning. They think it may be cancer. She's being biopsied. And I feel like such an asshole because I'm not in the mood to baby her. I love her dearly, but she's the kind of person that has to be constantly entertained. When she's visiting, I can't read a book or check my emails or listen to a podcast or even bathe without her needing me to perform a monologue for her. It's exhausting. I swear to God, I'm half considering feigning illness like an overwrought debutante and taking in my bed. <laughs> listen. Be nice. Someone might have cancer. Come on. I was with you until that. Um... All right, this one's a longer one. We'll save these. I've got so many more. We'll save them for next time, but 
I want to thank everyone who is a uh, Patreon subscriber. You know, I have this $35 level where I give you a shout out and I talk about how we met. Well, it's so funny because it just so happens that these next two subscribers that I'm giving a shout out to are like some of my best friends in the world. So this is really crazy. So my friend Kim Tobash, um, hey Kim, I don't know if I'm supposed to say last names. Well, anyway, hey Kim. So, um, this is really interesting. So I was, I was, um, really drunk one night years and years ago at a restaurant in, uh, Los Angeles. And I, you know, was, I wanted to give a big tip. And uh, I had just found out that the union I was in, Writers Guild Union, puts aside money every month from your paycheck into like a little pension. And I found out I could cash out that pension if I wanted early. So I wrote a tip for $30,000 to the waitress. And she was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, you're a fucking great waitress. And she's like, you're a little drunk. And I was like, listen to me. I want you to go and cash the check right now. Go put it, go like, I will sit and watch your tables for you. Go put it in the ATM. I won't change my mind. And so she did and she came back. She said, how can I ever repay you? And I said, here's the thing. You just keep paying it forward to others because now you get to quit your, your waitressing job, you know, for a few months and, and do what you really love. And, and, and when you do what you love, the money will follow you. I gave her this big speech. Well, turns out I'm walking down the street, you know, months later, and it it really was a mistake for me to have cashed out that pension. Um, I had nothing and uh, was borrowing money from friends and sleeping on couches. It was a really bad drunken decision that I made. And I see in this fancy furniture store, this window, it's like the Kim collection. And she had started her own line of furniture and it went through the roof. Every design show you see, Chip and Joanna, all those shows, they all use Kim Tobash furniture. And so I walked in, I said, do you remember me? I gave you that $30,000 tip. And she goes, I actually don't remember your face at all, but I do remember the tip. And so I know you're not lying because how else would you know? And I said, yeah, I said, remember how I told you to pay it forward to others. And I was about to tell her my sob story that things weren't going so well for me and thinking maybe she could give me the 30,000 back. And she said, yeah. And she said, I, I haven't really found anyone to pay it forward to yet. I thought, maybe this might be perfect. And so I said, do you have a second? And we sat down on one of the luxury couches for sale in the showroom. And I said, I'm actually could exactly use $30,000 right now or else I'm gonna have to move back in with my parents. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope that gets better for you. And I was like, what? And she's like, well, I've just been doing a lot of boundary work and therapy and, you know, I can't help everybody, but I really do want to do what you said and pay it forward. But I feel like to you, giving you the money back, it'd almost be like paying it backwards. And I was like, no, no, it's paying it forward. And we had this big philosophical debate about it. And um, anyway, we just had such a good time talking that we exchanged numbers and we kept in touch. And now we have coffee once a week. And again, you know, it's, it's weird. Like it's definitely a strained relationship because, you know, I feel like she took that money from me, even though I know I gave it to her. But when we don't talk about that, 
She is so fun to hang out with. So thank you, Kim. I guess she is paying it forward by being a $35 a month subscriber. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I, I think it's, look, I mean, it's definitely awkward. It's definitely, definitely awkward. But you know what? I, I'm learning a lot. Um, I'm learning a lot in this friendship. You know, just how to like not be really angry at someone all the time. Anyway, so this next $35 subscriber, Jeff, Jeff Cialetti, Cialetti. I know I've said your name before for another reason, Jeff, and I, I think I'm saying it wrong. But anyway, even though I don't say his last name correctly, one of my best friends, and this is how we met. So I'm on the subway, again, back in New York, and I fell asleep. And I guess Jeff watched me the whole time to make sure that I was okay. And, you know, when the subway started going all the way out, like way past New York City, down into Coney Island in Brooklyn, he woke me up and he said, um, you know, the last stop is coming up. The last stop is Coney Island. Where, where were you supposed to get off? And I was like, oh, I was supposed to get off like 20 stops ago. And he was like, I was going to wake you up. I was trying to guess what your stop was based on your outfit. And I was like, oh, I'm... I mean, I'm kind of offended you didn't think I was like a Park Avenue kind of lady. And he was like, well, you're wearing a bathing suit and you have a pail with sand in it and flip-flops. And so I thought Coney Island's the beach. You're probably going to the beach. And so anyway, I'm sorry I didn't wake you up sooner. But do you know why you're wearing just a bathing suit? Because it's winter. So, I mean, that that's the other part. Like, he's like, you know, I was really trying to guess. And I said, um... Oh yeah, I'm I'm in this bathing suit because well, it, my apartment is so hot at night. It um like the heater just comes on and we have no control over it. So, I usually just wear a bathing suit around. And then I um ran out of eggs. I was going to make some french toast and I just ran on the subway one stop cuz it was too cold to like walk outside, but I was like too lazy to get dressed and blah 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 blah. And he was like, "Oh, I totally get it. I totally get it." And I was like, "Well, what are, do you live in Coney Island? He's like, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm back uptown. I just wanted to ride and make sure you're okay. And I was like, I don't know why, but I don't feel like this is creepy. And he was like, no, I don't either. And so anyway, this, I know this is going to sound really, really bad, but subway stops and the conductor comes out and he's like, okay, guys, you have to get off the train. And I was like, okay. And so we watched the conductor um, go to his car and we followed him. And I was like, and he was like, what are you following me for? Like, what, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not going to harm you in any way. Of course not. But I am going to ask if I can borrow some clothes. And he was like, I'm, I just have my gym clothes. And I was like, well, those are sweaty and smelly. Can I wear your train uniform? because I'm freezing and I'm in this bathing suit. And he was like, well, I mean, I don't have another shift till tomorrow. Can you get this outfit back to me by tomorrow? I was like, oh, totally. I'm just going to ride home in it. And he was like, wouldn't you just rather get a cab back? And I was like, no, I get car sick. It's a really long ride. And he was like, okay, I shouldn't be doing this. But he went and changed behind the car, put on his smelly gym clothes, and then gave me his train conductor uniform. So I put that on, and we caught another subway back into the city. 
And then the next day I was like, ugh, I don't want to go all the way to Coney Island and give this guy back his uniform. So I didn't. And I feel so bad. And he's probably going to get in trouble and he probably has to like buy it from the boss or whatever. But anyway, Jeff and I stayed friends after that. And it's so funny because as a joke, sometimes he'll call me like first thing in the morning and be like, I'm just waking you up because that's what I do. And I'm like, ha, ha, ha. Anyway, but I ended up giving Jeff the train conductor uniform because he wore it on Halloween one year, um, which was really a mistake because people were like airing their grievances to him. Like, I don't know, the MTA system doesn't work. He's like, it's a fucking costume. I've heard that before. But anyway, so that's how we met. And uh, it was was a really crazy night. And I feel, I don't think you guys are going to judge me for that story and be like, you shouldn't steal someone's uniform and then be like, oh, whatevs. But guys, it was like three months ago. So, I mean, I was a totally different person then, you know? I don't know. I just don't want to, I just don't want to be judged. Okay. So anyway, thank you for being $35 Patreon subscribers. And if anyone else wants to join, you know where to go. Patreon.com slash Jen Kirkman. I don't know. Do you want to hear an article? Maybe that's something because I think Uh, There was an article that came out months ago about how we're going to be better off. We're going to become better people after COVID. And all I've seen is a bunch of people who are like, oh my God, I can't sit alone with my thoughts. I'm going to the bar now that everything's open. Bye. Not wearing a mask. So... Oh, no, sorry. I was going to read an article, but it's not the right one. Okay, never mind. (laughs) Wow, that is classic, this podcast. Classic, this podcast. I had the wrong thing up. Who cares? Who fucking cares? Um, If you want to keep listening to this episode, I do a bonus 20-minute episode that is only on Patreon every week. Since it is the third week of the month, it's only available to people at the $15 level and above. And I will be talking about, I think I'm saying his name wrong, Waka Flocka has left the music industry and is just going to focus full-time on helping people with mental health. And I love it. It's not necessarily a funny thing, but it's interesting and I'm going to talk about it. So that is what will happen if you head over on to Patreon. And until next week, have fun.